Morning, friends. Uh, my name is Matt, and I'm a pastor here at Friendship Church, and I'm so thankful that you're with us today. Uh, for anyone who wasn't here on Wednesday night, I just want to tell you, in this crazy time, how exciting it was to see every nook and cranny of this building filled with kids and students learning about Jesus and spending time with Jesus together. There was such a great turnout, and we're so thankful for all of you who helped to make that happen on Wednesday night. I also want to let you know that Pastor Kenny had his first Sunday last week, and I'm learning that he's a bit of a prankster. I came into my office earlier this week, and he had totally rearranged it on me. And I found out from some text messages between the service that he told the people at our Shakopee campus this morning that if they memorized the Bible verse, Proverbs 18, 21, it's a simple one. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat of its fruits. He told people that anyone who memorized that verse could come and say it to me and I would give them $100. (laughs) So what I would like you to do is to memorize that verse and approach Kenny at the 4 o'clock service today and say it to him and make sure he knows you expect nothing in return because in Prior Lake, memorizing the word of God is its own reward. (laughs) We don't need that kind of motivation here. Oh, this is going to be so much fun. We're in a sermon series called Speak Life. And what did we look at last week in our series? How important each and every word we speak is. We looked at the fact that God says life and death are in the power of the tongue. That when we speak to other people, we can build them up and encourage them and add to their soul. Or we can tear them down and leave them less than when we found them. And of course, we said, we want to be people who build others up, who speak words of love and encouragement. And we saw that Jesus said, our words are important because they're an accurate reflection of our heart. He said, it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. So much so that in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says, we can be appropriately judged on the day of judgment by the words that we speak. Because they're an accurate reflection of the state of our heart. That's how important our words are. And we want to be a people who speak life. People who speak goodness. People who speak love to other people. People who speak gospel. And today we're going to see that to be a part of those who speak life, we want to be a people who speak truth. Last week we saw... James chapter 3. And today I would ask us to leap a couple of chapters ahead of that into James chapter 5, verse 12, that says this, But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. What's the first commandment of this passage? Do not swear. I've shared with you guys before about how much fear and anxiety my wife and I experienced when we first put our daughter, little first grade innocent daughter, on a public school bus in order to send her to and from school. There she is with her little pigtails looking so young, so innocent, and we're going to put her on that bus with fifth and sixth grade boys riding to school. 
I remember what I was like as a fifth and sixth grade boy. Anyone else? I remember sitting on the back of the bus, trying to act all cool, swearing right and left. One time I brought a circular saw blade onto the bus and told kids it was a throwing star and I was deadly accurate with it to try and scare the little kids. And now I was putting my precious little baby on a bus with people like me. Well, we were about two weeks into the bus experiment when my daughter came home and informed me that she had heard a naughty word on the bus. I was surprised it took two weeks. And so I asked her, what what was the naughty word, sweetie? And she said, Dad, it was the S word. And I said, okay, I'm pretty sure I know what the S word is, but let's just confirm. What, What is the S word? She said, Dad, I can't say that. I said, no, it's okay. You won't get in trouble. I just want to know, what S word did you hear? She said, Dad, it... It's stupid. Stupid is the S word. Right now in our home, when the kids were growing up, well, we, we didn't call people or things stupid right, when they were growing up. Now we call each other stupid all the time, but that's a different story for a different time. And even though stupid was a naughty word in our house, I was a little relieved that stupid was the S word that she had heard on the bus. A few weeks later, she comes home and we have almost the exact same conversation. Dad! I heard a naughty word on the bus. What naughty word, sweetie? The SH word. Now, I knew I'd used an SH word on the bus as I was growing up, and I didn't want my daughter using it. But I thought I'd better check in, sweetie. What's, what's the SH word? Dad, it's shut up. Well, right, yeah, in our house, we didn't tell people to shut up. That was a naughty word. Sure, but once again, I experienced a little bit of relief that the SH word was shut up. And now my daughter is 21 years old. And she has, in all of that time of public school education, never heard a swear word. (laughs) I have adequately protected her as her father from all swearing. You're not buying that? No, I wouldn't buy that either. Nor should you buy that that kind of swearing is what James 5.12 is talking about. Right? James 5.12 isn't talking about using naughty words. It's not talking about cursing. What kind of swearing is James 5.12 talking about? It's talking about swearing an oath. Using an oath in order to give your words greater credibility. This was a serious, serious problem in first century Judaism. Because people were swearing oaths in order to give their words credibility... And using it as an excuse to lie anytime they weren't using an oath. So that you might come up to me and I might tell you something. And you might later on find out it was a lie. And you'd come back to me and say, you lied to me. And I'd say, well, yeah, but I didn't, I didn't swear an oath or anything. It had become an excuse to lie anytime you weren't swearing an oath. And the kinds of rules there were about oath-taking were ridiculous. If, for example... You swore by God that you were bound to that oath. But if you swore by your own life, you weren't bound to that oath. If you swore by Jerusalem, you weren't bound to the oath. But if you swore toward Jerusalem, you were bound to the oath. Jesus deals with all of these crazy shenanigans in Matthew chapter 23. As he addresses the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, he says, Woe to you blind guides! You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold on the temple, he's bound by his oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold 
or the temple that makes the gold sacred. You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Not only were people lying and saying, wait, wait a minute, I, I, didn't, I didn't swear by it. I didn't make an oath. But when confronted about their lying, at times they were saying, well, I didn't make the kind of oath that's binding. I mean, sure, I swore an oath, but not the kind that's binding. I only swore an oath by the temple, not by the gold of the temple. You can see what a problem this is in terms of people's credibility and honesty, which is why Jesus deals with it in Matthew chapter 5 and deals with it here in Matthew 23. And James 5 picks up Jesus' words from Matthew 5 and repeats them to us. Because Jesus wants us to understand that his people are to be people of total and complete honesty. Jesus says, I am the truth. And so what are his people to be about? Truth. The Bible tells us that God is completely true, totally honest. And so what does he want from his people? That we would be a people of complete and total honesty. That our yes would always mean yes. And our no would always mean no. Part of what we understand from James chapter 5 verse 12 is that honesty and truth is so very important. It's extremely important. In our society, lying goes on all around us. And so we can become used to it. And there's an attitude about lying where most people will acknowledge that lying, at least in most situations, is wrong. But... It's a little wrong. Not, not, not a really serious wrong. Our society looks at lying as a little bit wrong. Uh, I remember hearing an account about four high school boys who on a beautiful spring day decided that they were going to skip school in the morning. They went to the lake, they hung out, they played in the water. It was a gorgeous sunny day. And when noon rolled around, they decided to go back to school. They went, they checked back in, they went to their class, and they told their teacher, sorry, we're late because we got a flat tire on our way to school this morning, and we didn't have a spare. And so we had to wait for someone to come and actually change the tire for us so that we could get here. The teacher said, that's fine, that kind of thing happens, but you missed a quiz while you were gone. And so I want you to make up the quiz. Would each of you please take out a piece of paper and a pencil or pen? And now I'd like you, without looking at the paper of any of your fellow students, to answer question number one. Question number one, which tire was flat? Right? The boys hadn't gone that far in making up their story. They were busted. Now, is it a shock to us that a group of high school boys might lie to us about something like that? No, it's not a shock. As a matter of fact, we might be tempted to even think of it as adorable, Is it a shock to us when we find out that a celebrity has been lying? Is anyone shocked by that? Is it a surprise to us when we find out that a politician has been lying? Is it a surprise to us when we find out that a pastor or the president of a Christian university has been lying about living a double life? It's infuriating, frustrating, but it's not surprising to us anymore, is it? Is it a shock when we find out that people in our workplace lie or people in our neighborhood lie? No, it is all around us. And our society thinks of lying as commonplace and as a little wrong. But God thinks of it 
in a very different way than that. He thinks of it as a great big wrong. Proverbs 12, 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. What are lying lips? They're a mild frustration to the Lord. No, that's not what it says, right? What are lying lips? They're an abomination to the Lord. Uh, A word that means God finds lying horrific. God who is truth, who is perfect in honesty, finds lying to be horrific. We get a sense of how horrible lying is in God's eyes in Acts chapter 5. What happens in Acts chapter 5? A couple named Ananias and Sapphira sell a piece of land. And they bring some of the proceeds from the sale of that land and they present it before the apostles' feet. The problem is, they tell the apostles that it's all of the proceeds from the sale of the land. As Peter would point out to them, you guys didn't have to do this. After you sold the land, the money was yours to do with as you will. But they wanted to impress people. They wanted to be impressive. And so they claimed that that part of the money from the sale of the land was all of the money from the sale of the land. And what was God's reaction to their lying? He struck Ananias and Sapphira dead right there at the feet of the apostles. Why? Does God strike everyone in the church dead when they lie? I was watching a pastor from, I don't know, maybe California this week. And he said two different things that weren't true in about five minutes of me watching. And he's still alive. I had somebody forward something to me from a pastor in Tennessee who I found out had been lying about an affair for a number of years, and he's still alive. Have any of you ever lied? Oh, what? No hands? I'm shocked, right? We've all lied at some point in our lives, and here we are, still alive. So why did God strike Ananias and Sapphira down? I think the answer to that is because these are the first few days of God's church. And God is using Ananias and Sapphira as an example, the same way that he did a man named Anakin when the people first went in to the promised land. He's using Ananias and Sapphira as an example to say, you guys lying, dishonesty, it can't be tolerated within the body of Christ. If the body of Christ becomes a place of lies and dishonesty, it might, it might as well not even exist. And so he says, we've got to be a people of truth, a people of honesty in our lives. A lying is a big deal to God. Last week, I quoted a fourth century church father named Augustine. Today, uh, let's look at another fourth century quote from a man named Jerome, also a church father, who said this about lying. Lying is indeed an accursed vice. We are a people, and we have relations with one another only by speech. If we recognize the horror and gravity of an untruth, we should more justifiably punish it with fire than any other crime. I commonly find people taking the most ill-advised pains to correct their children for their harmless faults and worrying them about heedless acts which leave no trace and have no consequences. Lying is, in my opinion, the only fault whose birth and progress we should consistently oppose. It grows with a child's growth. And once the tongue has got the knack for lying, it is difficult to imagine how impossible it is to correct it. 
Does anyone else know that to be true from their own life? I know I do. Being people of truth is of the utmost importance to our God. And so it's worth us recognizing what's at stake when we have to make a choice between telling the truth and lying, when we have to make a choice between honesty and dishonesty, between being faithful to our word or being unfaithful to our word, it's helpful for us to recognize what's at stake. And the first thing I want you to recognize is your reputation is at stake. When you choose honesty or dishonesty, your reputation is at stake. I've told you before that years ago, years and years ago, I used to play golf with a guy who, over the course of 18 holes, always seemed to subtract 10 or 15 shots from the score that he actually shot. Every time. And I spent a lot of time with this guy. And after a while, I found myself trusting him less and less about everything that he said. Right? Because if people will lie to you about some things, they'll lie to you about anything. And his reputation in my eyes was diminished because of all of the lying and dishonesty that there was in our relationship. This is true not only in our face-to-face conversations. This is absolutely true with the things that we post, share, or forward online. Uh, During this time in particular of COVID and elections, There are so many people who are quick to share or forward something that goes along with a narrative that they like without ever pausing to say, is this true? Can I research this and find out that this is actually true? I'll share a silly example with you from a couple of years ago. A guy that I knew from a a different church shared uh, this picture on his page of President Obama speaking uh, here within this room. And it was a part of a larger article that he shared about how President Obama had brought in these golden Muslim prayer curtains when he moved into the Oval Office. And the entire thing was about how Obama had moved in these golden Muslim prayer curtains and about how there was this big Muslim takeover taking place. Now this was two years after Obama had left office. So why he was posting this at this point, I have no idea. But it went along with a narrative that he wanted. Did he bother to check and see if any of it was true? Absolutely not. He just shared it and moved on. And so I sent a picture to my friend of those same curtains in the same room with President Nixon in 1971. Right? The curtains that Obama moved in. Uh, and I said, okay, here, here's the same curtains, and there's picture after picture, because those curtains have been there for decades. What are you doing sharing this kind of misinformation and lies? And he responded to me, well, I didn't know. I thought it could be true. Right? I thought it could be true. That's not how Christians operate. Right? To Christians, we follow a man who is the truth. And we don't just share or forward things because we like what they say. We check them out to make sure they are absolutely, totally, and completely true. And we recognize that our credibility is on the line with the things that we share. Right? What happened to this man's credibility in my eyes and in other people's eyes as he shared these lies with others? What happens to the credibility of what he's trying to promote? 
It is all damaged. We're, we're to be a people who are true and who are honest and recognize our credibility is on the line. And occasionally I hear people say, well, I'm not really responsible for that. I, I'm just sharing it. I'm just forwarding the information. Other people can work out whether or not it's true. No, if you are sharing that with other people, you're responsible for that information. Right? Whether or not it's true or whether you're sharing lies, that is on you at that point. And so we recognize our reputation is at stake with the things that we share. But I also want us to recognize far more important than our reputation. Jesus' reputation is at stake if we claim to be one of his followers. Uh, The guy who shared about the Muslim prayer curtains a week before that has shared with everybody how essential Jesus is to life. Everybody needs to come to Jesus. What happens to Jesus' reputation when he shares, you've got to come to Jesus one week and the next week shares things that are blatant lies and false? What happens to Jesus' reputation in that situation? Uh, Jesus' reputation is on the line if we're going to claim to be his follower. And so we're to be people of honesty and truth. You, you may remember a couple weeks ago, I asked you, would my, my thoughts about UPS change? Uh, if a UPS driver came to my house, backed his truck up the driveway right through my garage door, just smashed it to pieces, got out of his UPS truck, came up to the front window and just threw the package right through the window got back in his truck and drove off. Yes, my opinion about UPS would be impacted by that. Why is that? Because that UPS driver represents that company. He wears the uniform. And as followers of Jesus, if we claim his name, we wear the uniform. We represent him. And so God says, my people are to be a people of truth and honesty in all that they do. Our reputation's at stake. Jesus' reputation is at stake in truth. And trust is at stake. Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. This passage commands us to speak truth and honesty with each other because we're members one of another. We're in relationship with each other. And the quality of our relationship is built on what? It's built on trust. Our relationship quality is built on trust for each other. And what is trust built on? Trust is built in part on you being good to your word. Trust is built on whether when you say something, I can believe it. And when you say you'll do something, you'll do it. And so Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, is helping us to understand part of the reason we need to speak truth to each other is because trust is on the line when we speak truth or tell lies, and the quality of our relationships depends on that trust. And so because we are a part of a body together, Jesus says, there's no lying. Everything is to be true. Everything is to be honest because trust is at stake. What's at stake Your reputation's at stake. More importantly, Jesus' reputation is at stake and trust is at stake. Now, before we talk about how to eliminate lies and dishonesty from our life and become more and more people of truth, there's one more thing I want to share about truth with you, and it's this. We're to speak truth in love. 
our yes is always to be yes, and our no is always to be no. And our yes and no are always to be motivated by love for others. There are some people that I have met who have no problem speaking the truth. They love to drop truth bombs on everyone around them. They want everybody to know everything that they know and agree with it. And they love to just speak truth at you and speak truth at you and speak truth at you. And as they do that, it's really all about them and their desire to say what they want to say. But Jesus says, truth is always to be operational within love. Ephesians 4.15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Christians are never to speak truth without love. And passages like Galatians 6.1 and 1 Peter 3.15 communicate to us that that is partially about how we communicate truth. It says when we do so, we're to do so with gentleness and respect. Gentleness, respect, humility, kindness, goodness. These are the kinds of things that the Spirit produces in us, right? And so they should be a part of our communication with others at all time. So that we're a people who speak truth in love. We do so with gentleness, respect, care, and compassion. And I guess this is when I remind us again, this isn't just true for our face-to-face conversations. This is true for everything we choose to post on social media. That it is to be done in love, with respect, gentleness, and kindness. We are to speak truth in love. Now, as we talk about truth and honesty today, I know that in my heart, I say, yes, I want to be more and more a person of truth. I want dishonesty and lies to be eliminated from my life. I want to be a person who is always speaking truth in love. How do I grow in that? Right? How do we grow in truth and honesty in our lives? Well, we saw last week that the answer is not my own self-effort. James chapter 3 said, There is no person who can tame the tongue. It can only be done by God. We also saw last week that our tongue accurately represents the state of our heart. And so if I want my tongue to change, what needs to change? My heart needs to change. If I want to grow in speaking truth and eliminating lies and dishonesty, it's a matter of the heart in me. And here I can speak from some experience in my own life, and maybe it resonates with you as well. For me, the greatest heart issue that leads to lying lips is people-pleasing. The greatest heart issue in my life that has led me to lie or be dishonest is valuing what people think more than what God thinks. And if I'm going to become a person who is true in everything he says, who eliminates lies and dishonesty, I got to deal with that root heart issue. The issue of valuing what people think of me more than what God thinks of me. Maybe there's others in the room that are in that camp as well and can recognize that heart issue. 
So the natural question becomes, how do I eliminate that people-pleasing in my life? If that's the root heart issue that is bringing about dishonesty or lies or the temptation towards dishonesty or lies, how do I deal with that root heart issue of people-pleasing? And I want to say to you today, you can never deal with that by trying really hard not to be a people-pleaser. God has designed you to seek approval, his approval, But he has designed us as people to be approval seekers. For some of us, that means we seek everybody's approval in life. For others, it means seeking the approval of a very focused group. For others, it means seeking the approval of one very specific person. And for others, they've given up on the approval of others, and they just want to approve of themselves. Right? Uh, Before I was born... A guy named uh, Ricky Nelson saying, you can't please everyone, so you've got to please yourself. The approval of self. God has built the desire for approval into us. And so I cannot get rid of people pleasing by just trying really hard not to care about what you think. (laughs) That won't work. Instead, I have to become so consumed with God and what he thinks of me that what you think shrinks into the background by comparison. This is what happened in my life when I was in high school and met my wife, Erica, for the first time. Yes, we met in high school. And before I met her, I was a high schooler. And so whose opinion meant the most to me in the decisions that I made? My friends. My friends' opinions meant the most to me. If I bought a new pair of sneakers... I cared if my friends thought they were cool. If I bought a new shirt, I just didn't want my friends to make fun of it. Which they usually did. But then I met Erica. And I began to spend time with her. I began to get to know her. Invest in relationship with her. And what happened about my cares and my desire for approval? All of a sudden... I didn't really care if my friends approved of my new shoes or what they thought of my shirt. I just saw like 10 of you look at my shoes. They're not new. Shoot, I should have worn new shoes today. I'm sorry. All of a sudden, all I cared about was what Erica thought about these things. And everyone else's approval shrank into the background and became small by comparison. That's what has to happen for us to win the heart battle over people-pleasing in our life. We have to become consumed in our life with our God. We have to be with him, spend time with him in prayer, in the word, being with him so that all that matters is what he thinks of us. And everyone else's opinion and approval shrinks into the background by comparison. Then and only then, well, we find that our natural appetite for approval is being filled by God and you have less appetite for people pleasing. Then and only then, as our heart cares about pleasing God above anyone else, will we eliminate lying because we care more about the one person who knows all truth than we do about what any person thinks of us. We want our words to change and become words of truth and words of life. And it starts with seeking after God and drawing close to him so that his approval matters above all else. I want to encourage you this morning. If you're sitting there saying, 
I want to grow into that kind of relationship. I I don't know if I have that right now, but I want to grow into that kind of relationship with Jesus where all that matters is what he thinks of me, where all that matters is what God's opinion is and his approval. I'd encourage you to put that down on the prayer card that you've been given, the connect card. And we would love to have people praying for you over and over again, that that would be the reality in your life. And I want to pray for us all right now. Would you join me in prayer for that? Father, We come before you today and we recognize that it's out of the overflow of our hearts that the mouth speaks. We want to be a people who have eliminated dishonesty and lies from our life. We recognize that isn't where we are right now, but we want it to be true. We want to be people who are totally and completely true and honest. And so we ask for your spirit to be dealing with people-pleasing, that idol of people-pleasing in our life. Continue to eliminate that by growing our attention more and more on you. God, we seek after you, knowing that as we do, you'll become all-consuming in our lives, and we are thankful for that. And pray that that would be true of us now. In Jesus' name, amen.